Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode is with Ben Bruce of Asking Alexandria, and it's a wonderful chat. Um, really kind of interesting backstory. Like Ben, uh, born in the UK, grew up in Dubai at a time when maybe Dubai wasn't the the Dubai that we, we, we see on social media now. Uh, it sounded like a very different place. Um, finding out how Ben kind of found his tribe and discovered rock and metal. Uh, and then yeah, we've done the call from his home in America, so he relocates to the States. So we've got a, a really interesting chat. Um, and, and fundamentally, at the very essence of it, he's a really nice guy that's got ace-tasting music. So you're in for a treat. Before we get on with that chat, just a few thank yous. Thanks to Screw Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, which this podcast is very proud to be part of. Go explore the Distraction Pieces Network because there's some ace podcasts on there. Big thanks to 76 for producing this podcast. Thanks to you lot for continuing to support this. Thanks for um, thanks to Ben, for um, not Ben Bruce, Ben Gazy for putting this together. Um, big shout out to you. Thank you. And... Also, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, then when you get to the end of today's um, Ace Chat with Ben Bruce, go and explore the back catalogue. Because um, if you like hearing me talking to um, rockers, then you can hear me talking to Tommy Lee of... of, uh, I nearly said Foo Fighters then. Tommy Lee of Motley Crue. Um, You can hear me speaking to Foo Fighters. Uh, You can hear me talking to Ral Reynolds of Energy Shikari, Jesse Leach of Kill Switch Engage, Mastodon. Oh, God, who else have I spoken to in in the world of uh, rock and metal? There's a stack. There's a stack. And if you like your comedy, then I've spoken to some some amazing comedians, uh, some great producers. We talk about Nirvana. Uh, They, they, you know... Most podcasts, that word pops up, Nirvana. Um, I was blessed to sit down and um, have an amazing chat with Butch Vig, uh, discussing, obviously, producing you know that, that iconic record for Nirvana. Um, and so, yeah, go and explore the back catalogue. There's 350 episodes, and you can listen to them all for free. So go and get stuck in. Um, before we get on with the chat, just also, if you get a chance, um, when you finish listening to this, give us a little like. Um, or if you see us on the socials, if you're not following me on the socials, go and search off the beat and track. Um, give us a follow. Um, and yeah, and then a, a like, a love, a share, a retweet, all the usual stuff. Because um, it really helps um, in getting the word out about this podcast. So any help like that would be amazing. Um, 
if uh, the 350 episodes isn't enough for you and you want more and you want more regular content, then um, why not head over to Patreon? Um, over there, I have an account where you can support it from as little as 79p a month. And um, with that, you get uh, access to video episodes of, of so many of these chats. Um, you get standalone episodes, radio shows, and an archive to get stuck into of about 300 shows over there as well. And like I say, 79p a month. All of this, everything you need to know about this podcast, check it out at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. It's not beaten, beat and trackpodcast.com. Let's get on with today's natter. Please enjoy this wonderful chat with Ben Bruce of Asking Alexandria. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the cacao bar and there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um, and what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to. And all you've got to do is just for you off the beaten track listeners, go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Ben Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Just starting my day. I feel like I'm, I live in the States, but it feels a bit homely right now. It's pissing it down with rain outside, so it feels good. It feels like I'm in England. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, uh, I'm just outside London. We've got some glorious sunshine, mate. Bastard. <laughs> Whereabouts are you in the States? I'm in Charleston, um, which is in South Carolina. It's about, I've been, I left home when I was 16. So I've, I've found myself in my older age getting really homesick. So Charleston was actually founded by the Brits. It used to be called Charlestown after King mm. Charles. But there's like roads here and everything that were, that are built from cobblestones that they brought over on the boats from England. It was, it was here being built on before it was even America. So this is about as close to being in England as I can get yeah. without actually being in England. And you get the rain as well. So, uh, yeah, you're almost here, mate. You're almost here. Almost. Um, <laughs> so where, where are you at in regards to um, – where, where's Charleston in regards to post-lockdown or are you still in lockdown? What's the situation like where you are right now? There's, there's really been no lockdown. It's, this is America, dude. This is the Wild West. Um, <laughs> they're like, hey, man, go out and get sick if you want. Um, but, yeah, yeah no, it, which has been nice that I've been able to still go out and enjoy enjoy outdoors and stuff. But also, it's a little bit worrying. I've got three kids um, and my wife's pregnant. So it's like, it's scary going out, but they're not able to be vaccinated or anything right now. But at the same time, I feel like, I've spoken to friends and stuff in Australia and that have been in lock, like crazy lockdown. And even yeah. in England, uh, not that long ago. And I think 
I can't imagine my kids would have gone nuts. They go nuts if they're home for the weekend because it's raining. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I've been fortunate in that regard. And where we live too in, in, in Charleston, we're on the beach. Um, so we can go and still be away from people, but still be outdoors and do, do stuff. Lovely. Well, yeah. Ben, I'm going to start the playlist. And, and so for track one, I'd like you to tell me, please, the song that you think has the greatest ever intro. I personally, it's so subjective, isn't it? Because it just depends. But for me, I think it, I picked Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. Is, and I, I think, I don't even know that I need to explain why. I just, you know, I think those, those acapella vocals, those harmonies coming in, it's such a it's almost like a sneaky way that they started the song because obviously everyone knows what it sounds like now, but can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Those vocals coming, kind of haunting, kind of low laying. You have no idea what the rest of that roller coaster looks like the first time this has been presented to the world. So it kind of is, I just think it's genius. It's amazing how that song starts and then builds into what it is from something so simple, so stripped down to something one of the biggest sounding songs of, of all times. Genius. Absolutely. And the thing that, you know, always sort of stuns me when, when, you know, this song does get mentioned uh, quite regularly when people talk intros and, and rightly so, uh, you know, it's a masterpiece of a single. And, and I always like to ask guests about songwriting and the changes in, in, in ways that young people listen to music and, and we'll get round to that in a sec. But for me, I think that that must have blown minds then in record companies. Yeah. Because I wouldn't necessarily look at that and go, yep, that's a single, because it's an album in a single. Yeah, I don't think people did. I think when they handed it in, as I wasn't in the room, but from what I've read, the label was like, what is this? Like, this is insane. And I, I can, I feel like if we handed something, in like that now labels would have the same response like what are you doing maybe yeah. even more so now it's it's way longer than two minutes and 30 seconds that song um so yeah i mean can you imagine just hearing that for the first time someone heard that outside of the camp for the first time ever i yeah. would love to have seen just their face listening to yeah. it there should be some youtube reaction videos to playing young kids bohemian rhapsody and seeing what <laughs> what their first response is um they wouldn't make it through. Two minutes in, they'd be like, "Yeah, next." Well, that's that's kind of vital in in the question I'm going to ask you now, and and and, and in the way that music's listened to now and consumed by by so many youngsters. And I, and I'm and I often use my my children as a as an example. I, I watch their thumbs, and they're rapid, and yeah. and I'm I've grown up in a very kind of traditional way of listening to music and I bought I grew up buying vinyl and you know playing one side flipping it playing the other side etc um and I was no stranger to hearing Bohemian Rhapsody and these songs that have these humongous dramatic introductions and and you know go all over the place and and even like looking at sort of hard rock and and a metal like you're seeing for me, the influence, and I'm going to use bands like maybe Bring Me the Horizon and things like that that have definitely been pushed or happily moved into the realms of pop influence. And you're seeing the structures of them songs maybe, maybe sort of definitely leaning towards 
I'm not suggesting it's the artists that are pushing for that, but it feels that like they would now exist in a realm where they wouldn't be out of place on TikTok. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't get, you know, the thumb wouldn't swipe it quickly. It's, it's, it's definitely leaning towards entertaining their minds that are yeah. coming through. And I'm trying to say that with a great respect because I really like that band as well. Um, and, and so with that in mind, when you, I'm going right around the answers with this question here, Ben, but with that in mind, when you sit and write records, are any of these things considerations when you're sitting there with a guitar, no distractions, writing a song? Does that filter through? Um, now on this new album, absolutely not the exact opposite, but previously I think so. Yeah. Because when you, you know, bring me the horizon started at a young age too. They're a great example. And so did we, you know, they were a few years before us, but you know, you do when you're coming up and there's labels and everyone behind you going, you need to do this. You need to do this. This is what's selling now. This is what's selling now. You're kind of guided. And, and, and again, I'm not saying that they don't want to sound like that. I mean, I'm sure they do. And they're they're really, really fucking good at it. But somewhere along the way, bands are guided. They just are. It's, it's, it's what it is. There's record labels that need to make their money. Um, and what, becomes popular and big at the time. I mean, that's, it's a tale as old as time. Look at what happened with 80s hair metal. It got big, so everyone was an 80s hair metal band. Uh, Pantera started as an 80s hair metal band. Um, so, it, you know, it's definitely a thing, and it's very easy to go, okay, well, what's happening right now? What do we need to do to still be relevant and successful? Um, but it just, for us, for, for you know, I'm sat here wearing a Def Leppard t-shirt. I grew up listening to blues music like B.B. King, Eric Clapton, or rock music like Dire Straits and the Scorpions and Metallica and Pantera. It felt disingenuous to, to myself. And at the time when I was writing, like our previous record, like House on Fire, I was still listening to it and think these songs are sick. They're great. But I can't, I struggle to sit and listen to my influences in it. I can't pick out anything by Brian May or Dimebag Daryl. I can't hear anything by Elton John in there or the Beatles. And it kind of just makes me go, huh. And this time off that we've had um, due to the pandemic allowed me to sit down and reflect on that and go, whoa, and like kind of shake myself out of it and be like, this isn't why I started this band. This is, these aren't, these are the artists I love. And it is, you know, your bands like Pantera and Metallica and Nirvana and Dire Straits and the Beatles and Elton John and the Stones, all these classic rock and metal bands that I just love. Um, and so with this record, that was the goal. It was, it was, I don't, I don't care uh, what playlists require me to play. I don't care what radio says I need to sound like. Um, I don't care what we sounded like in the past. I, uh, what I care about is creating something super meaningful to me where I can sit back and listen to it and hear my influences and love of music shine. And thankfully for us, our record label, um, they felt exactly the same way. Alan Kobag, the guy that owns our record label, he said, don't, don't pigeon yourselves. He was encouraging me to, to listen to and be influenced by bands like Zeppelin and, and Elton John. And um, it was really refreshing and it was, it was so enjoyable. And I think I can sit back and listen to this new album and go, oh yeah, I hear me in there through my, my influences. Excellent. Track two. The first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, Ben. Uh, it was Fur Elise by Beethoven. Um, I never met Beethoven myself, so he wasn't playing it for me. Um, but it was my grandma. Uh, she used to just sit and play at her piano um, 
and I just vividly remember just sitting there in their living room. I would just watch her play, and it was always she would always start with Feralise, um, and you know I'm sure she went on to play multiple other songs whilst I was sat there watching her. But that's the one that always just do 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 so like echoes in my brain when I think of of music and the first thing that that I fell in love with and. Um, over the years as she got older she got arthritis in her fingers and she couldn't quite play piano like she once could but somehow she always maintained the ability to play uh, for release almost like her body just did it without her even realizing yeah. so um, that song for me even when I hear it now just immediately I'm, I'm taken back into my grandparents old house uh, about t- two feet tall you know uh, it's a spe- special song and what's if you had to sort of name it what would the emotion have been oh man i i you know what i think just sheer happiness or joy i think i was so young you don't really realize what life has in store for you you've not been tainted yet you've not been ruined Uh, (laughs) so nothing else mattered to me you know like that was playing and it was like i was in a bubble of just just happiness and love i mean you think back to when you're a kid and you're at your grandparents house you know, it's joy, isn't it? It's Absolutely. joy before, it, before it's been sucked from you. So, grandparents, uh, piano in the house. Parents, was there was there records on at home growing up? Was there always was you always surrounded by music? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think um, in my, on my mum's side, even um, there's a brass band conductor. I think I think he was from Crew. That's where my mum's family's from originally, uh, called Harry Mortimer. Um, and he was a very famous brass band conductor. He's got, we've got his OBE that he was awarded by the Queen of England um, for his, his work uh, in the music industry in the UK. So I think it's always been in my blood. And because of that, my grandma was always super proud of that. And she'd be like, oh, you're, you're a great uncle, Harry Mortimer, who was her, her uncle. Uh, and so I was just introduced to music at such a young age. And then on my dad's side of the family, he... Um, he, I don't, we don't know much about his family. He was actually, it's like a movie. He was left on a doorstep in a basket when he was wow. a baby. Um, but because of that, I think he always felt like a bit of an, a black sheep and an outsider. Um, the people that raised him, who are my grandparents, amazing. You know, they, they loved him to no end. They kept him. Um, but because he always felt a little bit lost and confused, I think he was one of the only little white kids in England in that era listening to blues music. He And he grew up listening to incredible artists like B.B. King and stuff and so and Muddy Waters. So my dad introduced me to, to blues from a very young age. Um, and so I think just from both sides of, of my family. And then when my stepdad came into the equation, he introduced me to the rock side. He was all about scorpions and dire straits and deep purple. So... I was just bombarded from all sides of the of music and the great spectrum that it encompasses um, from all of my family at a very, very young age. And you draw from all of that, right? I what, sorry? You draw from all of that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I love it. You know, if you, like, again, I go, go back to this new album that's coming out, but, you know, if you listen to uh, the end of Find Myself, for instance, it's there's you can hear like, my classical inspirations and influences from the Beethoven and Mozart stuff. So there's a beautiful piece of classical music at the end of that, and um, that we hired a real string uh, quintet to play. Um, and then, you know, if you listen throughout the record, you're going to hear bits of blues sprinkled there. You're going to hear Gary Moore playing the guitar and, and, and it, yeah, I, I, I just, I love music. And for me, it's, it would be such a shame 
and such a travesty to just pigeonhole myself into just strictly performing one and not using all those influences. And the funny thing to me is I hear people say all the time, like, I don't like blues or I don't like country music. I like rock music. And I'm like, well, have you, have you sat down and listened to blues, country and rock all together? They're very fucking similar, you know, yeah. slightly different accent with the singer, slightly different way of presenting it, but it's the same stuff. Fundamentals um, are the same, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I feel like if you can enjoy one, you can definitely enjoy the other. You just need to allow yourself to. Absolutely. Listen up. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I've only got another new sponsor. Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humor in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. For track three, I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Yeah, that was that was probably the hardest one I got asked, because when I think to my school days, I mean, it depends what year I'm, I'm talking. You know, there's so many songs that take me back that could be Prison Song by System of a Down or Left Behind by Slipknot on one year and then Blink-182's Rock Show another year. But I think when you ask the question, what one song takes me back to my school days, the, 
the same band always pops up it's Metallica it's, it instantly um, and I think for me it has to be nothing else matters because I think at that particular time in my life um, I hadn't I was just being introduced to Metallica and obviously I, w- I was listening to bands like Slipknot and System of Down and there was a big new metal uh, period during my child- childhood so when I was listening to the earlier bands I still tend to tended to sort of lean towards the heavier side of things, um, like listening to Cowboys from Hell and, and stuff like that, or on Metallica's records, like they're all the sort of master puppets. And when I put the Black Album on, um, I fell in love with it, but nothing else matters. Just It was so different to anything I was listening to at that period of my life. It was so melodic and so beautiful and so just stripped back. I was, I was taken aback by it. And... Um, so much so that I remember asking for my birthday that year. I asked my dad to buy me an Ovation uh, acoustic guitar because I saw James Hetfield playing one um, on the S&M DVD that they did. And uh, I just, I, I felt like I needed to play that song and it needed to be on an Ovation guitar. Uh, and it just left a huge impact on me from the get-go. And it allowed me to sort of open my mind and listen to more melodic stuff which i think is when i really started doing deep dives into bands like the scorpions and and stuff like that and um, really appreciate those lesser grandiose heavy songs that really i didn't realize up until that moment that all these big heavy hitters in heavy metal they wrote the best ballads and they wrote the best like soppy soft songs um and which you didn't i didn't realize as a kid what I'm always interested as to understanding how how people find their tribe and how I've run a, an alternative um, venue nightclub for, for nearly 30 years and I've seen so many different trends and youth cultures come and go and and, and what's interesting is that as, as so much of these youth cultures seem to blur now you know, and and I, and I use blur, no pun intended there, but blur the Britpop thing in the in the mid nineties had a very iconic imagery. You know, everybody was dressing like Liam and Noel and, and Damon Alban and such. And then you know, a few years before that, everybody was dressing like Kurt and Eddie Vedder, and yeah. and and then after that, new metal drops, and all of a sudden, everybody's you know wearing that kind of stuff, and so on and so on, and. One of the things that I find really interesting now is when I look at the people that come through the doors of my venue, there's quite a, and I, and I, and I use the word generic with respect, it's quite a, a generic fashion that you could walk into any club, any yeah. pub, and you wouldn't necessarily go, bang, that guy loves Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Like, it, it wouldn't happen. It's yeah. quite safe the only youth culture that still wears its colors on its sleeve metalers like you can still go there's a metaler there's a metaler and, like, yeah. and it's so weird that all of these other youth cultures you know like of all just like you know hip-hop like imagery has changed so much and all of these youth yeah. cultures that had such stark imagery is all kind of sort of moved into like this kind of top shop <laughs> window yeah, but metalers are metalers, and it's and they still they still wear their stripes. 
I think I think a lot of it's down to social media. I think everyone's been consumed by social media and everyone is being force fed and through this tiny little screen, everyone else's picture perfect life, which is bullshit. Of course, no, everyone, if you go on Instagram, lives on a fucking beach in Maui and owns a fucking yacht. It's, it's not realistic, but that's what's being force fed to you. That's what, that's what you should strive for. That's what you should be. That's who you should be. And so I think with that, people are trying to dress that way. They're trying to look that way. They're trying to be that, that person because I feel like that's what they're told they should be. I mean, if you if you even look at what's on television now, go look at shows that are so huge now, like Love Island. They all look exactly the same. Yeah. I, I went in to get my hair cut a little a few weeks ago, and it was still long. I, where I live, it's humid, it's hot, but I still want long hair. I love head banging. I need my long hair. I asked her to keep it long on top and take it down, keep it long in the back and go down into a point. It's kind of like a fat mohawk. I don't even know what it's called and keep the sides short. And she went, Oh no, no, you don't want that. And I went, well, yeah, I do. That's why I asked for it. She goes, no, trust me. This is what everyone has now. And she went, and she just, and I was like, Whoa, what have you done? But she was like, well, that's how everyone has their hair now. And that's exactly what you're saying. Everyone that goes into the hairdressers, asks for the same haircut now yeah. you know there's no one sporting a big pink mohawk anymore there's no one sporting a, a perm you know it's everyone's got the same thing and they all look yeah like instagram yeah your hair looks cool ben like it, it looks good man <laughs> but um but i know what you're saying that i mean I, I remember um my mate's a tattooist and he was saying like it must be about 10 years ago, he said people would come into my studio with a photo of David Beckham's arm and go, I want that sleeve. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, that's I fucking that. tragic, man. Yeah, I remember that. I re- because that's the thing too. It became, tattoos became less of something that represents who you are, less of, a, less of self-expression and more a fashion statement. So again, people are looking at David Beckham's like the sex icon of the world. He's talented. He's good looking. Everyone wants to be David Beckham. So they go, oh well, I could be David Beckham. I just need to look like him. Yeah, do do me, you know. And it's like color me in the same as him. <laughs> and I remember when I was younger, getting t- I got my first tattoo, and I was like, I think I was like fifteen, um, and uh, it. it it was because I loved them, and I and every every tattoo I've got on my body, bar a few stupid ones that I've let mates do in a drunken stupor, my tattoos all mean something very specific to me. Like I've got my grandfather's eye tattooed to the back of my neck, surrounded by his favorite uh, plants. I've got imagery. My arms are the image imagery that the lyrics from the first two songs that got Asking Alexandria signed are. So everything, everything means something. I've got family first across my chest, and I got these these big swallows that represent no matter how far away from home I fly every year, I'll follow them home and I go home. You know, there's everything means something. But now everyone's covered in tattoos, which when I was younger, my grandparents were never going to get a job if you get tattoos like it was a big no-no even my mom who loves tattoos was like please don't get your hands or your neck done and i came home when i was like 19 so like ah um and she was like oh but now everyone's covering them so you don't even bat an eyelid but they are they're just a fashion statement now and i often wonder what people are going to feel like like now i'm i'm 32 turning 33 and I often forget i have tattoos now they've been here so long but when people do ask and i take note i go oh would I get them again? 
fuck no, they hurt. They hurt too much. I'm too too much of a pussy now. But I can tell you what they all mean to me and I can tell you what they represent. And so at least I've got that. And I often think, what are people going to say about their tattoos when they get older? Like, mm. like that, yeah, well, David Beckham had these ones. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, that's no story, man. Do you know what I mean? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've... We've kind of digressed from where I was going to try and sort of yeah. angle the the, the, the chat, um, but <laughs> it, 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 I'm good at that. No, all, all it was I wanted to kind of you know, tell me about when you kind of you know because most kids don't aren't infant school listening to you know Slipknot. It's it's generally in those sort of formative years that you start to kind of find what's you find your tribe and you find your you know your identity a little bit and it starts to form then can you remember like any sort of pivotal moments in that at school when it was just like somebody went oh listen to this or have you seen this and like some shows your front cover of Kerrang or whatever and it's just like fuck look at that I can I, can. I remember it the moment specifically because again growing up in Dubai um, there was a lot of expats so and a lot of British expats so everyone would come ah, over. Sorry, Ben, just to quickly, just to throw it probably off another tangent again. How come she was in Dubai? How did that come about? So I'm, I'm from uh, Wandsworth, uh, South London, originally. And when I was born, um, we lived in uh, on a little street called Love Lane in Wandsworth. And my, my dad didn't have much money. Um, and I just, I think when I was super young, I was four when we left. My sister was born uh, three years after me. So she was about one. My dad got made redundant. Um, but all he had to his name was a bicycle that he kept in the summer shed at the end of the yard. Um, and so he had his bike and he used to cycle into London every day and try and get a job. And apparently one day we woke up and his bike had been stolen from the garden shed, from the summer shed at the end. And he just, he was like, I can't live here anymore. I can't provide for my, my kids and my wife. Um, and he was in advertising. He was a copywriter at the time and he got offered a, a position at a big advertising firm called Saatchi and Saatchi in the Middle East in Dubai. And this was back in like 1991, 1992. Um, Dubai was nothing. There was, there was nothing out there. So everyone was like, what are you insane? And he was like, it can't be worse than here. Yeah. So we packed us all up and we went over there. And when I say it was nothing, it was fucking nothing. There was a road surrounded by desert camels, literally walking around everywhere it was nothing. You could see Bedouin tents and stuff still. Um, so it's not like what people think of it now. Um, so that's that's why we ended up over there. And as such, because I went over there, everyone that sort of came over from England or whatever, whether they were a ch- over the years, whether they were a chav back home or a metalhead back home or a raver or a skater kid, when they came to Dubai, you were on your fucking own. So you became friends with everyone. And so it didn't matter if you were a, a metalhead or a skater or a chav or whatever, you were all friends. And so you kind of all listened to each other's music, which was really nice. Um, but it often maybe found it hard to find your identity um, growing up. So for me, um, I remember vividly, we were doing art class. We were in art. I don't remember what year I was in. I think it was year seven, first year of secondary school. Um, and our art teacher at the time used to encourage us every week. We'd have art twice a week, and uh, each time he would let someone else go, okay, next lesson's your turn to bring in music that you want to listen to and share with the class. 
And uh, I remember, I even remember the kid because it had such an impact to me. His name was Tom Evely. He bought in a Metallica record and he put it on. Um, and uh, I was like, whoa, this is unreal. Like, this is so fucking good. And I didn't know what record he bought in. I didn't know what album it was or what I'd listened to. Um, so I went home and I used to get pocket money, weekly, weekly allowance, and it was exactly the price of a, of a CD at the time. And so I used to go to Virgin Megastores because they were still about every week and I'd buy a Metallica album until I could find that song that he played during the art class. Um, and I finally found it and it was Fate to Black um, on the Ride the Lightning album. And I was like, this is it. Um, but through doing that and buying all these albums, I never really listened to them properly because I was so desperate to find that song. Sure. Um, and then through doing that, that was when my, my, my real love for like rock really, really, really began. And I kind of pushed that stuff aside and went to more because to find rock music, I would rely on bands on uh, magazines at the time, like Kerrang and stuff. And they used to come with a CD on the front. Kerrang did. Um, and Metallica was never on those CDs and Nirvana and all these classic rock bands I, I ended up loving, but it was bands like Slipknot and Avenged Sevenfold. And so that was when I really got into to rock and metal. Really, it was the new metal era for me. And then I traveled back into Metallica and stuff, but it was, it was Metallica from the get go. Yeah. Shout out Tom. Um, yeah. Thanks. Tom Evely. <laughs> Track four, the first track you remember buying from a record store. Um, I think so. For me, um, growing up, obviously you're you're given, or I was anyway, because I love music. Every Christmas or birthday or any occasion, I would get a present. It would definitely be gifts from of music from my family, CDs that I might have said I wanted or or what have you. But the first one I bought with my my pocket money. Um, before I was introduced to, to Metallica and all this stuff, um, it was it was because of it was when we went back to England for a summer holiday. BBC Radio One were playing um, Blink One Eighty Two all the time. I can't remember what song it was. There was a song. It was probably all the small things. Always on the radio, uh, and I loved it. And when I was old enough to go into a record store by myself, I bought Enro of the State, um, and it was a cassette tape too. It wasn't even a CD. I couldn't afford a CD. Um, so yeah, it was it was Blink One Eight Two's "Animal of the State," and again, I think I think it was because BBC uh, Radio One was playing uh, all the small things just on repeat. I think, and you can see why that and uh, what's my age again and things like that would appeal to teenage kids. Do you know what I mean? It, it, because oh, yeah. it's it's just hook laden, isn't it? It's just perfect pop, and it's got a nice kind of punk edge to it as well it's like it's tailor-made for kind of that's exactly it so you're not listening to pop music like your mum like your mum would be so it's not embarrassing because mm. there's an electric guitar mm. in there and there's a real drum player but essentially yeah it was pop music yeah uh, the disguise on absolutely and and it's so weird like you can play any track off of that record now still in my club and people still lose their shit to it yeah like, yeah it- it, that's the nostalgic factor, I think. Absolutely, and and you know, and but then pop music, you know, people will, you know, right the way back from, you know, if you go back to Twist and Shout and and the Beatles and things like that, right, right, like pop music, like good pop music, will stand the yeah. test of time. First chorus, first chorus, mid late chorus, done. If it's hook laden and it's catchy, it's, it's going to test the stand forever. the test of time. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. For track five, I want to know about um, a song that soundtrack your year's clubbing. So, I've had this answer, and I've had this answer from um, a few people previously. You never went clubbing. Mm, no. Okay, right. Let's switch it up. Let's switch it up. Um, I'm going to throw it. I'm going to ask you. I mean, so what was it? Was it bars? You know, straight again, probably because I grew up in Dubai, I was never really much of a drinker. Um, of course, yeah. I didn't drink all that much. You could drink in Dubai, but it was 21, not like in England where you just got to see over the bar. Um, and so when I moved back to England at 16, all my all my mates and everyone in Arskin at that time, um, James and Callum, they were clubbing and they were really going to town. And I, I had no idea what any of this was. And I felt like to fit in with them, I started drinking and I started smoking cigarettes and stuff. I didn't really like it, but they would go clubbing and I get, I went with them a few times, I guess in York is where, is where we were. Um, so was that it, like commercial clubbing, like raving clubbing or was that going to Fibbers for like an, an alternative night or. So you would go to Fibbers for an alternative night and I'd enjoy all that part of it, but then you'd always end up somewhere like someplace called Willow where it was just raving and just, all the chavs are in there and I was like, what the fuck am I doing in here? Yeah. Um, the only like song I can remember from that era that they, of dance and EDM and all that stuff. So there was a song, I can't remember what it's called. It was a song by Chase and Status. Um, and, it, and I lo- and I liked it because it started with an acoustic guitar. It was like, kind of reminded me of Toto. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well I could get down on this. And so that was, that was about as far as, as my, life of clubbing ever ever went wasn't really for me okay i'm gonna switch it up there i'm gonna throw in a bonus question um first gig you went to oh just as a fan yeah i think honestly the first show i ever went to and the lines are blurred here because i was so young but it was either um oh fuck me it was either the scorpions that my stepdad took me to in dubai or i can't remember which one came first or i went to see Funnily enough, the Rasmus in Dubai when I was a little kid. Um, I can't remember which one came first. I think it was the Scorpions. Um, but there was a festival in Dubai called the Dubai Desert Rock Festival that came about um, in my sort of preteen years. They they started really introducing rock bands. And the first ever year, I remember, it was Limp Biscuit and the Rasmus. Um, and Limp Biscuit cancelled and they blamed terrorist threats, which... Not a thing in, in Dubai. And everyone living there was like, oh, that's such an easy excuse yeah. uh, for the American band to use to not come to the Middle East. Um, but the Rasmus still came. And I just, I remember, I didn't really know who the Rasmus was. They had that one song in the shadows. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is whatever. But because the Biscuit cancelled, the Rasmus came out again and played a second set. And they, so they became like heroes. And I ended up having the best time ever. Um so that may have been my first show, or it was it was Scorpions, but that one is the one that sticks out in my mind as my first show, just because I didn't have my parents with me. I was in a big pit full of rock fans and metalheads, and somehow we all managed to bop along to the Rasmus, and they became the heroes of the year. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Track six. Um, I've read the answer. I think you've done what 99% of the guests have done. I always send this question over and ask for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, but everyone at this point goes, oh, I thought you said country. I uh, thought you said country too. Yeah. Oh, you say county. 
<laughs> I need to put county in massive, like, bold letters because you're literally one of about 150 people that have done it on this podcast. So don't feel, don't feel too ashamed, Ben. So that's fine. I mean, for somebody that's so well-traveled and has lived in so many places, I think country is fine for you. I think we can... Uh, we, I, don't know, we, I don't know what bands are from my home county. What's your home county? What, what do you call home county? Well, I'm from I'm from Wandsworth originally. That's where I'm. That's where I'm from. So I don't know. I don't even know what county that is. All I know is my local team. I think was Crystal Palace. Well, that's London, right? It is London, South London. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you you, you got enough to pick from from London, but from London, yeah. I won't put you on the spot. We go country, you know. For somebody that grew up in Dubai and is living in the states, we're, we're all right. We go. We, we go with the UK. So give me. Give me- a pass, a country pass. Absolutely, mate. Um, what are you going to go for? I picked Blackbird by the Beatles. Um, oh, and I think the Beatles have obviously too many amazing songs to sort of count. And, you know, you say Beatles and you think, you think Hey Jude or even probably Yellow Submarine or there's loads of fucking massive songs that you think. Um, but for me, Blackbird is, I, I, I don't know why, um, but there's just something about the chord progression in that song and the simplicity of it, just that, just the picked finger picked acoustic guitar and, and the vocals, um, that just resonates with me to such a level of, I adore it. And I think it's the first song that I was ever brave enough to sort of sing and record myself singing too. So maybe that's why it holds a bit of a, a soft spot in, in my heart. But I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the best songs of all time, in my opinion. It's it's an absolute masterpiece, and I I often you know when people talk Beatles and and you look at bands career spans and how long they exist for, and you look at you know the Beatles how you know in the short space of time that they they existed, We're barely a band. It's insane. Fucking crazy, and you just think how many years was that from Mister Postman to Tomorrow Never Knows? What? Like how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. They were barely a fucking band. It's like it takes most bands longer to get signed than to completely become the biggest sensation that ever has and probably ever will be. Yeah. Uh, and then they just went, "Nah, fuck it." Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but I mean, a little bit of me thinks good because they didn't put a duffer out. You know, it was just all perfect, in my opinion. Um, it, it's kind of like, which is a really strange thing to compare it to, but for me, it was kind of like the TV show Friends. I know a lot of people are like, oh, fucking Friends, I hate it. But I think Friends was such a great show, and, or, better example for England, anything Ricky Gervais has ever done. Okay. Because he ends it when it needs to end. He doesn't do a, a lot of sitcoms or television shows or movie franchises do, which is bleed the rock dry it's like oh well we could get some more money from this we could do it for a little bit longer and it declines uh, ricky gervais is the perfect example of that it will he's here and it's like this is fucking phenomenal and he ends it whilst it's still fucking phenomenal that's exactly what the beatles did they they were phenomenal from day one to the end and i think they ended it with a rooftop show that's in right. london even it wasn't even a gargantuan show that they put on Say Goodbye. Yeah. They fucking just lugged their gear up to the roof and played it. Didn't yeah. tell anyone. Pissed off. Amazing. I was uh, listening to an interview with McCartney the other day with um, uh, with Adam Buxton. And uh, and you, you could hear that uh, Buxton was like, 
really nervous. You know, he you know he spoke to some real heavyweight guests, but this is this is a beatle, you know, like, oh, just yeah. different level, right? And and McCartney was wonderful, like super gracious, really interesting. And he said, like, so what's it like? You know, in lockdown, like, what what's Paul McCartney do? And he was just like, oh, you know, I sometimes play the guitar a little bit, but he said. You know, I just I really like watching Homes Under the Hammer and I just thought fucking brilliant. <laughs> I just love the fact that he's just sitting there. Oh right, he does what normal people do. That's mental. Like I oh, thought he'd be doing something, you know, completely different. It's Paul McCartney, but now nah, just sits over his feet up watching yeah, Homes yeah. Under the Hammer. Probably, probably not even dressed, still in his PKs, cold <laughs> cup of tea, didn't finish it. Legend. <laughs> oh amazing. Right, last track. Um so Ben, this is your opportunity to to play tastemaker and an influencer and turn someone onto something that um, they possibly haven't heard before. So for track seven, it's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Super easy for me. It was Gary Moore, Still Got the Blues. Um, I think primarily, obviously, blues mu- music is is a, a black culture that came from the States and, and it came from such a time that, I mean... Of course, the, the music is just so emotional and laden. And for me, it, it, it's, so, it's so hard um, to, to find white blues artists that really fly that flag and I think do, do the genre of music proud. Um, you know, I think, again, it's, people will disagree with me here, but I think Eric Clapton's one of those people. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think he's phenomenal. I love Eric Clapton. Um, but for me, Gary Moore really is the one he 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 did what i think blues music should and always has done for me real blues music which is in its simplest form in such a basic way there's no trickery there's nothing what it is is what it is it moves you to such a degree that other genres really they need a lot in there to get you to that point blues music was just like no it's it's done it with very very little and Gary Moore, to me, he does that with his guitar. Like, he'll play a note, and somehow he's managed to say what it would take an entire song for most people to say with that one note, the way he's played it, the tone he's got from his guitar. Um, and uh, Still Got the Blues, for me, just had such a huge impact on me, not only as a guitar player, but as a music fan, blues and rock. Um, and I just think not not enough people... I wonder how many people that watch this will even have ever heard of it. Hopefully they go and listen yeah. to it. Um, but it's, it's an incredible song. It's a beautiful song. He was always one of my favorites. And actually he died. I was staying next door to him in a hotel. I think I was in Spain or somewhere. I think it was Spain. Um, and, uh, or maybe it was Argentina. I can't remember, but I was young and he was staying in a hotel next to me. And I found out and I was like, Oh, Gary Moore's over there. And my bandmates were like, go, go knock on the door. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he died that night. Um, no and I often way. Think, I know. I often think, fuck, if I'd have knocked on his door, maybe would he not have died? I don't fucking know. But, um, yeah, it's just crazy how at, from such a young age he had such a huge impact on me. And then I was there. I was there next to him when I was on tour. And uh, that our paths could have crossed. Oh, man. And what, what a, you know legacy he's left behind even you know obviously thin lizzy let's not overlook you know he's, yeah. he's he's playing in thin lizzy as well like legit legend he is he's he's un- unbelievable he's mm. he's if i had to pick an all-time favorite guitarist i think it would be him okay well 
we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast, Ben, so people can go and listen to, to Gary Moore and all the other tracks uh, that you've, you've picked on there. It's going to uh, be an odd list. It will be. It will be all over the place, but that's how we like it. Um, we'll obviously put some so, uh, some of your uh, material on there as well. So speaking of which, um, as 2021 is opening up to be a much more exciting and connected and happier place than maybe the beginning of 2021, um, what are you looking forward to personally and what's going to be happening professionally? Personally, I've not fucking seen my mum or my dad or my sister in like two years now. Um, America's not letting Brits in. So I've had, one of my children was born in 2020. My mum's never met him. He's 16 months old now. And we're about to have another baby this next week that my mum won't have met either. So I've had two kids, my mum and dad and sister and stepdad, they haven't met. So oh, that's harsh, man. It's brutal, man. It's really brutal. So, personally, that's what I'm looking forward to. I need to, I need to see my family. I, I just don't know how. Obviously, I, I could fly home, but my wife's so pregnant, she can't. And yeah. during COVID, putting four young children on an airplane seems a little bit irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of just waiting for the the uh, door, the transatlantic corridor to open back up, so my parents can come out here. So personally, that's really all I'm looking forward to: seeing my mum again, giving her a hug. Um, and then professionally, same same thing. Really, travel like get me the fuck out of here. I want to. I want to go. I want to get back to England and, and Europe. And that's one of my favorite things to do is tour, especially like Europe. You wake up, and in America it's very samey. You wake up and you're in a venue, and it's ugh. in Europe for some reason it's just so inviting to get out your bus and go for a stroll and sit in a coffee shop and have a coffee and it's uh, it's just different so that's what i'm looking forward to professionally is getting back out on tour just to travel <laughs> wonderful and if people want to keep up to speed with tour dates releases and everything where's the best place to to follow what you're up to ben it's a very good question i'm assuming we have a website called askingalexandria.com but i can't tell you the last time i checked <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a look and I'll put it in the bio of this uh, episode if it exists. <laughs> if it exists, I'm sure it does. Have you heard of social media? That's that's catching on. My, 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 yeah, it's, social media. There's, there's, there's one called Instagram. There's one called Facebook. Get involved, mate. It's going to be big. They're like, they're like clubs that you get to. You just go and hang out like a book club. Like that, like that. But uh, you but, just put all you do. Yes, yeah, sort of like that. But you just post pictures of your dinner and stuff like that. Oh, fuck yeah, foodie yeah. club. Get involved, in. mate. Get one for the band as well. I'll check it out. <laughs> ben, it's been a joy talking records with you, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, mate. I had a, had a blast, man. Thank you. Oh, wicked. Thank you very much. There you go. There you go. What a lovely chat. What a top man. What an interesting life. You know? Oh, man, when he was saying that his dad's bike got stolen and it just broke him and he was like, no, we're going, we're getting out. We're going to go to Dubai. No one was going to Dubai then. Um, yeah, I love that. You know, what what, what a beautiful story and, and, you know, massively life-changing for all involved. And, yeah, and then relocates to, to the States and, uh, and yeah, as a, as a wonderful family and another one joining very, very soon. So, um, as mentioned just before we wrapped it up, best of luck, man. Best of luck. Um, lovely episode really enjoyed that hope you um really enjoyed it too why not go check out the back catalogue now and uh, just subscribe and then that way you won't miss any future episodes they'll just pop up on your listening device without having to worry about anything if you want to support us 
do it over on Patreon. Um, other than that, go old school and just nudge your mate and go, you uh, you heard off the beating track podcast. It's all right, that. Um, do that. that. That's always good. Or just follow us on the socials and give us a little like, love, share, retweet, subscribe on, on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Drop us a comment on the socials. Drop me a message. Just say you lisp too much or you bang on about your club too much. Um, or just tell me what you like about the podcast or what you'd like to hear or who you'd like to hear me chat to. Get involved. You know, I'm an open book. Let's have a natter. I'll see you next time. Have a lovely week. Bye-bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Eat a podcast.